Keloglin Envoys, a very beautiful music this morning. Well, we're continuing on in a series on problems. One, I guess none of you guys have ever had this morning, we're dealing with a problem of anger. Uh, before, before we jump into that, Dale, just a reminder of God's goodness. I know Jimmy had called me earlier this morning, he was feeling terrible. He said, pray for me, I think I'm going to have to head to the hospital. And then I saw him here. And God in His mercy felt better. Pam's at home not feeling real well. <laughs> I remember her. and Just remember those who are sick. Stephen, as he uh, gets better. And those who are traveling. Uh, just We just need to remember people in prayer. Uh, and lift them up. This morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> Very familiar passage of Scripture to many of us. That talks about anger. Someone asked when we find that to stand in our God's honor as I read from His Holy Word. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Let's pray. Master, we approach you once again, God. Some days we don't feel so strong, but you are the strong one. So, Father, as we approach you with our hearts, Lord, take that which is weak, infuse your strength. Take that which is needy, and, Father, fulfill the need. Take that which is sin and provide forgiveness. Take what is hard and replace with grace. This morning, Lord, as we look at this issue of anger, I... And just deal with us, Lord. There are times when we're not where you want us to be. And then there are times where you want us to be and no one else is comfortable. But regardless, Lord, we want you to be the center of it. Guide us. Father, I ask uh, that uh, as I seek to share your word, that the words may be understandable, they might be plain and yet powerful by your spirit. And I pray, Father... Um, that there might be passion, and yet, Father, that there uh, might be a, a sense of your presence. And Father, we just need to hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a little boy, and he had a lawnmower. And this preacher was coming by doing his visits on his bicycle in the summer, and he saw this little boy. So he stopped to talk to him. He said, what you doing, son? He said, I really need a bicycle. He said, my goal is to sell this lawnmower so I can get enough money to get me a bicycle. And the preacher said, well, okay. He said, I'll tell you what. How about a swap? How about a trade? He said, you, you can have my bicycle and you can give me your lawnmower. He goes, okay, sounds good to me. So the preacher said, well, let, let me try it out first. So he bent over and he began to tug on that pull cord. Nothing was happening. He pulled a couple of times and he said, Boy, he said, I don't know about this. I don't how do you get this thing to start? He said, Well, he said, You gotta cuss at it. He said, That that'll get it going. You, you cuss at it, then you pull that cord. And the preacher said, I don't think I can do that. You see, it's been many, many years since I let out a bunch of those cuss words and he said, I I don't remember how to do that anymore. I don't remember those words. And the little boy said, Well, you just keep pulling on that cord and it'll come back to you. 
We've all had times of frustration where it just gushes out. And, and, and this morning, as we look at this text of Scripture, um, anger is this, this deep feeling of, of hostility that branches out and hurts us and hurts other people. And there are stages many times in anger. Uh, a lot of times it starts out, it's an irritation. You know, there's just this, you know, this something somebody does and you think, that is the most annoying thing in the world. If, if, if that doesn't stop, it turns into indignation. Which means if that doesn't stop, I'm going to have to do something about it. You know, it's kind of the old saying, if, if they don't quit that, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. The problem is, most of us don't have enough to spare. We need to keep what little bit we have instead of giving pieces away of it. You know what I mean? And, and then it moves. <laughs> if it continues, it goes from irritation to indignation to wrath. That's when it begins to boil. You know, it hadn't stopped, and inside you just begin to boil. You think, oh boy, this is not good. And if that keeps up, if it boils over, <laughs> it turns into fury. And that's that old saying that, you know, anger is one letter short of danger. That's when it explodes out and causes trouble. <laughs> like uh, the little boy who, who he heard these guys and they were talking about this one lady who was known to cause trouble. She was grumpy. She was mean to everybody. And they were talking about this lady and they said she had colitis. And so the little boy, he just couldn't help it. He had to, he had to speak up. He said, she's got colitis. Yes, she's got colitis. He said, well, who's she been colliding with now? That's what happens. That's what happens with anger. But, um, as we look at the Scripture here, though, uh, let me start out here. This is uh, from the Phillips translation. He says, if you're angry, be sure it's not out of wounded pride or ba bad temper. So uh, there's a word here that he doesn't say, do not get angry. He says, make sure you're angry about the right thing. Make sure your anger does not come out of wounded pride. <laughs> Make sure your anger is not simply out of that bad temper, but that it's a righteous anger. You see, anger is part of the human emotions. God's made us an, an emotional people. Sometimes we cry. That's natural. Sometimes we just are so filled with love... Sometimes we feel so depressed. Sometimes we're just, you know, just so happy. We're beaming, bouncing around. It, that's just part of the human makeup. You know, it's kind of like music. I thought about it. You've got to have the high notes and you've got to have the low notes. But it all is necessary to make music. And for a fulfilled life, there's the ups, there's the downs, there's all kinds of emotions. And anger is a part of that. God has, has made us for the capacity to become angry. And, and that's not always bad. Second, anger, as a go with that, is not necessarily sinful. <laughs> be angry and do not sin. It, you can be angry about something you should get angry about. It's what you do with that anger. Is it going to be expressed in an appropriate manner or is it going to become sin and hurt you and hurt other people? And then third, anger must have safeguards, as we'll notice in the Scripture Anger is dangerous when it is not bridled, when it is not reined in. 
it can cause all kinds of troubles. Billy Sunday, the old uh, evangelist of another generation, he talked to this one woman, and she said, you know, sometimes I get so angry. She says, but then I blow up, and it's all over, and everything's great. It's over with. He said, yeah, dear. He said, but that's kind of like a shotgun. He said, you know, you shoot it, and it's all over, but buckshot goes everywhere and hits everything in its path. It causes a lot of damage and hurt. It's like getting in a sports car, man, and gunning the gas and taking off down the road full speed, realizing you don't have any brakes. Trouble's around the corner. It's around the corner. Jesus got angry. We know that. We know about him turning over the tables in the temple and when they weren't worshiping properly, when it was all about selling sacrifices instead of an attitude of worship. Some of the places Jesus really expresses his anger most vividly is in Matthew 23. I encourage you to turn there with me as he is confronting the Pharisees, these religious leaders that were all about image and not about being in the image of God. They cared about how people saw them, not how Jesus saw them, how God saw them. Just a couple of verses here. Man, Jesus spoke. Uh, you know, He didn't tiptoe around them. He didn't just pat them on the head and say, You're so sweet. No, man, He hit them up. Uh, I want you to see here... Um, I'll just start at verse 25 of Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That went over well, I'm sure. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Then he sweetens up here. Look what he says next. What do you teachers the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What do you teachers the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. <laughs> Man, he, he, he just he, he speaks honestly with them. He, he speaks to the truth with them. He's mad. Why is he mad? Because the people who shouldn't miss it, the people who should love God, the people who should love one another, didn't. It was all about self. It was all about me instead of about Him. And, and that made Jesus angry because other people were also missing the truth because of it. So there is a, a time for righteous anger. And when he says, be angry, but sin not. He gives some safeguards here about anger. Let's look at them. First, don't prolong them into the night. Look back in Ephesians four twenty-six. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, the end of the day was when the sun went down. That was, you know, the time you got ready to go to bed. In other words, don't let anger linger. Deal with it instead of letting it continually deal with you. We get hurt. We get offended. And if we're not careful, we can be like a William Walton who had a great quote. He said, you know, holding a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee." What a quote. You know, that bee, it just keeps on stinging, stinging, stinging. 
And that's what happens when there's an offense. You just can't let go of it. You pet it and you nurse it and you hug it and you dream about it and think about it and are consumed by it. And God says, don't do that. Don't let that destroy relationships. Your relationship with me, your relationship with other people. Deal with it. Don't let it linger. Deal with it before the sun goes down. Safeguard number two. He says, do not allow your anger to be expressed in such a way that you're weakened and the devil's character is reproduced in you. Look look what he says in the Scripture. He says, and do not give the devil a foothold. What's the point here? We're to be salt, we're to be light. When people look at us, guys, they are to see the Spirit of Jesus Christ in us. But when unbridled anger is at work, we give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold. And what people see is not the image of Jesus, but they see the image of the enemy of Jesus, the devil in us. Don't be an ambassador for the devil is what he is saying here. Uh, Turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, there is a similar word on this. Uh, starting at verse 23, Timothy, uh, Paul is giving instruction to Timothy. And he says in verse 23, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. How much stuff do we get mad about? It's just stupid. He says, don't get mad at stupid things. Okay, time to move on. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Look at there in verse 26. He says, come to their senses to escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Man, are you in the devil's trap? That's, that's what he's saying. And people that don't know Jesus Christ, they're stuck in this trap. And, and Jesus springs the trap. He sets us free and, and he wants us to, to overcome this feeling of just always having to be about me, but to be set free to love him and to love other people and, and to get it right. Not to be just... A, you know, an equal opportunity offender, you know, or opportunity, equal opportunity offended all the time. That, that, get out of that trap. And for those of us who are, who are in the faith, he said, don't fall back into the trap where you become this emissary of the enemy. Don't, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Now, um, when's anger justified? I, here's a quote from David Siemens I found interesting. Anger is divinely impl- in a divinely implanted emotion, closely allied to our instinct for right. It's designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. If you cannot hate wrong, it's very questionable whether you really love righteousness. The person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. Anger has a place. When is anger justified? I'm going to just a couple, couple of these. When God's word and God's will are consciously disobeyed. There's a righteous anger. 
when God's word and God's will are consciously disobeyed. Example of this is with Moses. Turn me to Exodus 32 and near the front of your Bible here. Second book, Exodus 32. Starting at verse 19. I was sitting here, I looked down, I was in Genesis. I said, that doesn't look right. Okay. Thirty-two nineteen. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. We'll stop there a minute, a little background here. Moses had been up communing with God having a wonderful spiritual mountaintop experience the presence of God was all over came down the mountain he's carrying the tablets with the ten commandments wonderful time wonderful time then he looks and he sees these bunch of nuts dancing around with this golden calf on the pole this idol and what happened it burned him up here I am up here trying to get a message from God, trying to get God's heart. And I want you down here praying. I want you seeking God. I want you supporting us all through prayer. And I come down here and you're done. Here, throw those tablets down. And then he gets real nice. Look what he does next. Man, this is one mad dude. His anger burned. He threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Whew. And then he said to Aaron, can you imagine Aaron thinking, because he was supposed to be in charge. What these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord. Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold or jewelry, take it all. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire. And pop! Out came this calf. That's so ridiculous. Come on, Aaron. <laughs> Moses is angry. Why? Because God was consciously, His word, His will, our God, consciously disobeyed. And it, 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 it broke His heart. And, and, and guys, it, it, it's still true today. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Respect God. Take God seriously. Because all that's really there, guys, is eternity. We deal with the eternal one. And we need to take Him seriously. Turn me to John chapter 3. We, we all know John 3.16. It, it's, it's um you know, kind of the mantra of the church. We all love that verse. <laughs> I want to read on verse 17, 18. He says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn sin, but to save the world through. See, that's His goal. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to free you. He, Man, He doesn't want to write you off. He wants to write you in. That's our God. To save the world. But look at verse 18. This is important. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Man, this is not about one day you'll be condemned. The Bible says that we start out condemned. We start out in sin. We start out without hope. We, we, we start out in need of a Savior, man. A fresh start. Forgiveness. We, we, we start out condemned. You're condemned already. And, and you need Jesus to set you free. There's no one else. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That's it. Not, there's no other answer. All this stuff, you know, pet your puppy, life will be good. I got a puppy, I love him. But that's not enough. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It comes It comes down to that. And, and there's a righteous anger that comes up when people are just, oh, hey, just leave them alone. Just kind of fumble, float in the clouds for a turn. No, that's not what the Scripture says. It says you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And, and guys, when, when that's ignored, trouble comes. Trouble comes. Um, s- scripture's clear there. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 11, there's another example here. Solomon, you know, the wisest guy. <laughs> and uh, he did all these great things. It, really impressive, you know. Built this incredible kingdom. Saw uh, all this uh, great stuff that, that he was able to accomplish with God's help. Wisest man in the world. And, and we read about all of his accomplishments. But there's a sad verse here in First Kings chapter 11. He had multiple wives, many who did not love God. We'll start at verse 7 of 1 Kings 11. It says, On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the testable God of Moab, and for Molech, the testable God of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their God. The Lord God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Now, God was mad. What happened here? It wasn't just, boom, Solomon hated God. It was what usually happens. It was an erosion, guys. He had given his heart away, and bit by bit by bit, he didn't start out here, he started out here, but he eroded away until his heart wasn't with God. And, and he found himself in a very dangerous place. And I come to you today, it's not hard to get there because, of, you know, no one ever starts out and says, well, I'm going to build my house on the side of this mountain and, and you know, it'll never, we'll never have a mudslide. And guess what happens? Sometimes there's a mudslide. Hmm. Not built on a good foundation and it erodes away. You know, er- erosion. It, it... God says, repent. Come back to Him. Don't continue to erode. Don't continue to move away from Him. Um, don't do that. Second, I've got to move on here as usual. Uh, anger is justified when the enemies of the Lord take away uh, rights outside of, of God's plan. Um, I'm going to read, this is from Isaiah 50, 21 through 25. And this is from um, the New Contemporary Version. How terrible it will be for people who think they're wise and believe they're clever. How terrible it will be for people who are famous for drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. They take money to set the guilty free and don't allow good people to be judged fairly. They'll be destroyed just as fire burns straw or dry grass. They'll be destroyed like a plant whose roots rot and whose flower dies and blows away like dust. 
They've refused to obey the teachings of the Lord all-powerful and have hated the message from the holy God of Israel. So the Lord has become very angry with His people and He's raised His hand to punish them. Even the mountains are frightened. Dead bodies lie in streets like garbage. Now, I looked at verse 23 and He says, Don't allow good people to be judged This is an issue of when what's right is not treated as right. It's not respected. It's not honored. It's not cherished. It's no longer holy. Don't we live in a day where nothing is holy anymore? It breaks my heart. I remember a couple of weeks ago, Walter Newland and I were talking. He, he was talking about he and Shirley went to the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. He said, uh, he looked around near the floor at the bottom of the walls. There, there were these, uh, there were these prayer kneeling benches that were meant to be pulled out for people to pray. And the guide said to Walter, he "said These haven't been used in years, but they meant something to somebody. They meant something to somebody. People used to use them. People used to get on their knees and they used to pray. And we have an age where you can't talk about God; you're going to offend somebody." You, you can't read the Scriptures because it's going to offend somebody. You can't stand up for God because it's going to offend somebody. You're, you're interfering with their rights. It's just so sad. It just breaks my heart. And, and I read um, on the news, uh, just so sad, out there in Santa Monica, California, for the last 50 years, they have this nativity scene in the public park. And everybody, well, most everybody out there loved it. It was great. You know, kind of like walking back into the time of, of, of Jesus being born there, you know, in the manger. And unfortunately, all of these atheists and all these people that are fighting so desperately against God, they got all of the park permits but two. And they put in all this all this stuff, guys, that, that was disrespectful, that, that, that was um, tearing down the things of God and, and making fun of Jesus and, and making fun of the Scriptures and making fun of what's right. And, and so the city council said, you know, we can't afford the legal fees to stop these people and to keep our nativity scenes, so we're just going to close down every public event that's in the park. There won't be any nativity scene, there won't be any of this other stuff, because we can't afford the fees. And so we're going to shut it all down. And I can't help but believe that's the kind of stuff that, that makes God mad. That we're not going to worship God. We're not going to love Him. We're not going to give Him the proper respect. You know, that's what's fair. That's what's right. But we're not doing it. There's a time to get, to get mad. A time. Third, uh, anchor is justified when humble submission to authority is ignored over and over. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 6. Don't worry, guys. I'm near the end here. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And there's a parallel verse in Colossians. The next book over that also shares in Colossians 3. Verse 21, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. 
this is talking about when, when a kid is a, a child in the home is, is trying to submit, trying to do the right thing, and the dad is uh, just not being sensitive. You know, sometimes, guys, uh, we're not known for noticing details. We're not known for being patient. I always tell everybody, I flunked the patience course many times. I'm not sure they even let me get back into school, you know. Um, and sometimes, man, I'm just not tuned in. Sometimes I'm thinking uh, to my kids, I'm thinking, why are you doing that? You're driving me nuts. I, I just want to fix you. Then I miss their heart. That's what he's saying here. Don't exasperate your kids, dads. You, you need to be in tune with it. Be sensitive to it. Try, try to stop and think, what is going on inside? Instead of just attack, just, he's going to do it or else. That, that's not it. I was upset with myself recently about something. Got kind of down on myself and went upstairs having a pity party. No longer trouble with a pity party. No one wants to come, right? <laughs> so I was by myself. And I was thinking about just... I don't think I handled this right, Lord. I don't know what to do. I can't seem to fix this. I'm mad. I was pouting. I happened to look up on the dresser and there was a picture of me. Y'all really laughed. Back when I had a mustache. Yes, it was possible. <laughs> Long time ago. And it was a picture of me and my dad. And mom around my dad. Man, I miss my dad. I sat there and I talking to the picture. You know, don't tell anybody. They might put me in a room, little rooms. But... <laughs> I was talking pictures like, Dad, I sure miss you. My dad used to always say, Son, someday you'll pay for your raising. Oh, Boy, that hits. <laughs> I thought, man, I miss you, Dad. And then, I, then the second thing I thought was, I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. There's a... A great illustration of this in the scriptures as, as I get ready to close. Remember King David and Jonathan and Saul became jealous because David was getting, man, all of this attention because he was following the Lord and he was gifted. And, you know, it said you know, that Saul will have his thousands and David will have his tens of thousands. And, and this jealousy began to well up within Saul. And what really made him angry... Was his son was David's best friend. You know, oh, oh! And so what did he do? He called in his son, Jonathan. And uh, he, he spoke to, to his son, Jonathan. And uh, he said, Why are you friends? Why are you friends with David? Jonathan said, Why are you so mad at David? He hasn't done anything wrong. And then he, I wish I, I didn't write down the text for this. I'd share the text for this. Um, then Kings or Samuel. But anyway, as, he, as, he's, as he's talking, he, he, John says, why are you so mad? And, and he, he gives this, he, he shoots back at his son, Jonathan, and he says, 
you son of an illegitimate, perverted woman. And, and you can almost read the text too to say, you're doing something illegitimate, something perverted with David. Do you have some kind of twisted relationship with him? How could you be with him? He, how could, you know, he's trying to take the kingdom away. And, and Jonathan just back and says, Dad, why are you so angry? Dad, what, what's going on? What are you doing? And he says he throws a spear at Jonathan and tries to kill him. And, and, and Jonathan ends up escaping. He ends up running away. And, and, and there's this wedge that's, that's driven in because of, of Saul attacking to a son who's, who's not trying to attack back. And I just say all that to, to, to say to us guys, uh, I know that we're naturally fix-it people, but sometimes just shut up and listen. And not just with your ears. You need to listen with a heart. I'm preaching this to me, as well as to all of us, uh, as I share. All right, I'm at the end of this thing. We've run over. And, uh, this problem of anger is very real. You know what's beautiful, though, in the Scriptures? I love this. It says that when Jesus was hanging up on that cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. And see, that's what Calvary is about. He took the wrath of God. He took the punishment that was supposed to be mine and yours at Calvary. Thus God's wrath, God's anger, poured out upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so that I might be free. The very God who took upon Himself sin, punishment, wrath, set us free from it all. I thought of Proverbs twenty five twenty eight that says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The idea of the walls, it protected a city, these walls, to keep the enemy out, keep the city safe. When anger is unbridled, man, it's, it's like you're out of control and, and your life is in a, in a place of danger. And Jesus says, Come to me to find that rest. Come to me to find that peace. Come to me to, 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 to be able to deal with this. And once you come to me, go where you need to go to deal with it. Deal with the anger. There's some people here, um, I don't know what it is. You know, to be honest with you, I don't have to know everything. I don't want to know everything. We feel that way. I just... It's not that I'm not willing to talk to you. We just need God. And we need Him to give us courage to get it right and so I just share I guess as I get ready to close look in your heart you know sometimes they talk about revival's not just coming down the aisle sometimes it's going across the aisle so maybe there's someone here and you get something right with if so let's deal with that maybe there's someone not here someone as soon as you can you need to call or you need to go see don't let that one be sting you to death Lord, uh, thank you for a chance, Father, to talk about this issue. Lord, I joke about no one dealing with it. We all deal with it. But thank you at Calvary, you dealt with it. I pray, Father, that you give us courage, strength, conviction to turn to you right now, Lord. To listen to your voice, not just with the ears, the heart. And respond Father now's the time not ten years from now now 
What are you doing, Lord? What are you up to? Maybe someone needs to come to the cross right now. Before we talk about forgiving others, we need to be forgiven. And I pray that that one that's here, we just bow the heart and say, Forgive me, Lord. I don't want your wrath upon me. Forgive me. Jesus took it. I give my life to Him. He paid it all. Father, for others, uh, people, Lord, we need to fix things in relationships with one another. Uh, Show us what it is. Give us courage to do it. And Father, uh, thank you that we are able to be here today. In your name we ask these things. Amen.